Hello, hello, and welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto, coming to you once again from my Airstream in Whistler, British Columbia. I spent the last few days in beautiful but rainy Tofino. We were surfing, we were paddling, we were uh, enjoying a brand new campground that's opened up there called Surf Grove. Um, we had a fantastic time, um, and it's definitely a destination that I'd highly recommend. But you know, and it's touching on the topic of what I'm going to be chatting with, about with you today and uh, with my friend Jose Pablo, is that uh, I'm able to do all of these things. And I have been able to do so many of these things because of what we call white privilege or simply privilege. Um, now, I won't be totally politically correct by any means on today's uh, podcast, but I really want to talk to, to you about how, for me, getting outdoors was always something that I took for granted because I could do it without any concern. I had the support of family to get out there. I had economic support of parents putting me in programs like skiing and hiking and biking and camps. I went to a private, mostly all-white uh, school in uh, Montreal uh, that would cost upwards of 10 thousand dollars a year wearing uh, suits and whatnot. Granted, the majority of our kids in a school like that one in Montreal uh, were multi-ethnic, but while they weren't all white and uh, many were uh, of different ethnicities from Indian to Pakistani to Jewish to, um, to Muslim to from every demographic that you can think of that makes up a city like Montreal, we still had something called privilege because without that immense support of parents and family uh, that sends you to these spectacular programs, then access to the outdoors isn't as accessible as it is for all. So I'll get Jose Pablo to come onto the call and chat with me a little bit because there's so much to talk about. And uh, hello, Jose Pablo. Let's see where he is. He's still muted a little bit, so he's got to take his microphone off. Hey, Jose Pablo. Hello, hello, my Robert. How are you? I'm very good. And you? Uh, fine. Thank you. All right. Uh, keep, keep the phone close to your mouth so that we can hear your microphone well. Okay. Can you hear me well? I can hear you now. Very good. Okay. Are you on your earphone, AirPod earphones or just yeah. the phone? No, I'm yeah. actually my AirPods. You're, sorry? I'm actually my AirPods. Your AirPods, okay. The AirPods, it doesn't, I can't hear you as well when you use them. So if you could take them off and just use the phone, that would be a little bit better. Is this better? Oh, that's much better. Okay. <laughs> um, AirPods, another thing of white privilege, but we'll talk, talk about that in a little bit. And I won't focus so much on white privilege, but more so on privilege. So today, Jose Pablo, I wanted to, to get you on the call because I grew up in a family that gave me tons of opportunity. I was sent to a private school. I was sent to uh, a kid's camp um, when I was young that set the foundation of becoming the expeditioners, but obviously at a cost because it's quite expensive to send your kid to some of these camps. I was giving paddles and kayaks and uh, a bike by my parents. I was put into programs, extracurricular activities, chess programs. Uh, I was frequently uh, sent to pretty much any type of activity that would uh, develop my abilities since I was a kid. And, you know, uh, today, basically what I, I'm chatting about is that I have an enormously unfair advantage 
over so many children uh, in the world and, and people in the world because of this privilege. And privilege isn't something that we need to look at in a way uh, that's too negative. Um, I think it's important to to understand that our parents, in, in my case, and, and I spe- speak from uh, experience here, worked their butts off to get to the point where they got to. My dad never went to university. He, uh, he came from a family that uh, didn't have uh, much money at all. Uh, my grandfather was a milkman and my grandmother uh, used to serve uh, the queen uh, in Victoria when she would come to visit. And, and my dad worked as uh, the guy that would clean the floors in Eaton centers. And then he, he uh, became the manager. And then when, when that chain closed, he was one of the only people that got moved. But basically, he's worked his entire life extremely hard so that I could have something that he never had as a kid. And that's privilege, privilege to, to do things, to do activities, to go to schools, to go on trips, to go on international trips, to go to the United States all the time, to do all of these different things. And, and I think it's something that we have to learn to understand and accept that it's not by any means a bad thing that our parents work their butts off to get us to these points and give us all of this opportunity. But what is important is to understand that not everybody has the same opportunity and, where possible, help out so that others may also get to that. You know, a big part of my, you know, Jose Pablo came to to our kids' camp, what was it, four years ago? Yeah, exactly, four years ago. (laughs) So uh, before I jump into that, okay, give me a little bit of background for for the people that haven't heard our our podcast before. So who you are, how old you are, uh, and a little bit about your experiences in life regarding getting outside. Well, um, Jose Pablo, I'm from a city called Guadalajara. It's in Mexico. It's like four hours away from Puerto Vallarta. And I'm 20 years old, and I'm uh, currently in Whistler uh, learning about photography, uh, learning about editing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm just Doing lots like, of sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm learning about how to ski and a lot of different sports that we cannot do in Mexico. And I think that's uh, that actually adds to the current topic of the privilege because my my dad's uh, my my parents sorry also give me so much uh during ah uh, uh, sorry no 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 so much opportunity so much opportunities my dad's also they send me to to summer camps each summer i went to study in prague uh where i could ski that was a very important thing to me so i could ski in a in a school and they send me to all these trips all around the years and actually now i'm able to pay for those trips but before my dad my dad gave me the the opportunity to travel to to follow my dreams and actually when Roberto invited me here to live with him in Whistler my parents were super okay with that they were like yeah completely go follow your dreams go go study photography or just learn about this experience and so tell so (laughs) so tell me a little bit about what what are all the sports that you've done and or do I mean, I like like every every type of outdoor sport, like especially skiing, uh, hiking, mountaineering, mountain biking. I do a lot of kite surfing. I'm currently learning how to ski, like in, on skis. I actually do snowboard. 
Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know if I, it's, if that's considered a sport, but I also yeah, yeah. do some surfing. <laughs> yeah, ab- yeah absolutely. Some kayaking, canyon tripping. I'm, I'm here just to learn that, like, those, those, I mean, most of them, of those sports, you cannot do them in Mexico. Right. So, so. And, and, uh, and, and also you were a very competitive in a particular sport you didn't even mention. Oh yeah, uh, that's. I mean, I I practiced for nine years archery. I was like a national select. I don't know how to say it in English, yep. but a national uh, athlete in in my country, and I went to a lot of places to compete that. But I didn't even mention it because that 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 part of my life it's like over now. So that t- it, part of 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 sport that sport yeah, at the moment is over over but i mean i'm pretty good at it you, you play tennis <laughs> yeah i also play tennis <laughs> i play tennis i play paddle i don't know if you guys ever heard of paddle what's that one uh, it's like a tennis but with walls it's okay ever, it's, it's even funner but yeah i pretty much do i i once i i left archery I I wasn't I want I wasn't able to do all these kind of sports because archery took a lot of my time. Yeah. But when I decided to retire from archery, I was like, dude, I want to do everything. So, I want to be sorry, re- retire. <laughs> well, yeah, retire because you you were in this like like in high high competitive environment, and right. the only thing that you were able to do is train three hours a day, and you don't have time for anything else because you have to study in the morning and train in the afternoon so the thing is that when there was a point in my life that i had to decide if i want to to lose like some opportunities and in my high school like to go out with uh, in parties or learn how to kite for example i was i was really interested in kiteboarding but i couldn't be i couldn't i couldn't learn how to do it because of archery or because of school so in this part of my life i was like I have to stop. Uh, I have to to decide if I want to continue as an archer, as a professional archer, and go to the Olympics or or something like very important, uh, very important competitions. But that had to be a part of my life, and I decided that I wanted to be able to do more. Like I, I love sports. I love going out, and I don't. I don't want that. Like I don't. I don't know. I, I just. I, it just I, took. Too too many too many hours of my time. Well, so. I I totally understand you because um, I used to be a very good basketball player, and uh, and my focus at the time uh, lots of uh, uh, CJEPs, which are like kind of like colleges and other places, were telling me, hey, yeah, you could definitely play uh, at a competitive level, but in order to go up the chain of competitive level my focus would have to be entirely on one sport. Exactly. And uh, and at a young age, you realize that, you know, the world is your oyster and there's so many different sports that you can do. Again, something that is that you and I and, and so many others are, are extremely lucky that we were able to have that choice because, you know, a lot of the sports that we mentioned, and you know my my gear shed, um, <laughs> but it, it's it's quite, quite, uh, extensive, but pretty much all of the sports that you mentioned are very costly. To be a skier, you need a thousand dollars in just ski equipment. Then on top of that, a daily pass in Whistler costs you two hundred bucks. To go um, to an art, um, a bow and arrow of your level was probably what seven hundred dollars. No, three thousand dollars. <laughs> three thousand dollar bow uh, and arrows. 
Uh, then we've got uh, sea kayaks that are $4,000. I've got paddles that are uh, $500 to $700. Uh, dry suits, uh, $2,000, uh, $1,200. Uh, and, and then the list goes on and on and on on all of these sports that are truly quite expensive to do. And for those that live in the city, to get out to the outdoors is a cost in itself. So if you have somebody that's, um, that comes from uh, perhaps a lower economic background in the city of Montreal, in order to get out of the city, to go to a destination where you could partake in renting a canoe that's going to cost you a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks in gas, uh, not mentioning food along the way. For a kid in particular, it's, it's uh, unless they have that massive uh, parental support, uh, it's just not possible. So, so today, you know, basically what, what I wanted to chat with you about is, is you and I come from backgrounds that, that we have been given grand opportunity. And, and I think that with this grand opportunity, down the road, you know, I'm much older than you are. I'm 39 and you're 20. So you got, you're, you're still at the, the beginnings <laughs> of it all. But I think it becomes just to have a social awareness so that down the road, we can make changes or help children also partake in activities and such. So for, for our kids camp, we, we often uh, get a kid or two that we sponsor to come to the camp uh, to partake in it. Um, my mom, um, my nephew, uh, some years ago, well, some years ago, three years ago now, uh, passed away from cancer. And he was a spectacular pianist. Um, obviously, piano classes alone are are quite costly. Um, and and now that, uh, you know, one of the big things that she's been doing, or one of the things, I won't say big things, but a, one, a great thing, is that my mom, my parents are sponsoring a program uh, in Puerto Vallarta where they find students of uh, piano students or pianists, young kids that are very good uh, or extraordinarily good at what they do, but they simply can't afford to either have the classes or to have a keyboard or a piano at home. And so what my parents are doing is they're, um, they're gifting these pianos and piano classes and basically sponsoring children in, in, uh, in memory of Marcus uh, to, be, to reach their potential as pianists. Because you could be the most incredible pianist or have this extremely raw talent, but if you don't have the time because you have to work or you have to walk to the water well that's a kilometer away and do your family chores, then you simply can't afford to take your piano playing to the next level. And I think the same thing applies to, to all of the sports that we partake in. And, uh, and what's really neat with what they do with this piano program is once the, the, the child has uh, reached a certain point and doesn't need the piano anymore, whether, whether he got another one or he's no longer uh, doing uh, piano, whatever it may be, the piano gets passed on to a different kid. Um, so I think my, my big point on today is simply to emphasize that, uh, that we have to be aware of privilege and, and what it brings. In uh, I'm not sure if you saw on the news, but Home Depot is getting a bit of a, a bad rap or I'm not sure what, what the world's uh, reaction entirely has been to the fact that they put in one of their stores in Alberta a white privilege card. And basically this card says... If you let me let me find it here for a second because it's really worth uh, worth sharing. 
it says, uh, oh, I don't think I can open it at the moment, but it says privilege, a special benefit or advantage that may be earned or unearned. And obviously in the case of children, we don't, we don't earn our ability to have that privilege. So it comes unearned because of the social class that we were simply born in. But what privilege looks like on this, uh, on this Home Depot leading practices paper is, is, and, and a few of the points are, are really quite interesting. If you're confident that the police exist to protect you, you have white privilege. Now, I'm not fully white. I'm half Mexican, half Canadian. And so I do have a little bit of a browner skin, but, uh, but I still come from, from a, a class structure that, that entirely I've never been concerned that the cops were out to get me. I always was of the belief that any cops that I saw in, uh, in the city streets or if ever I was in an un- uncomfortable situation, that the cops were there to help me out in my situation. And indeed, even during the times where I did get stopped for speeding or I did do something that perhaps was not, was a fine line between breaking the law and, and, and whatnot, the cops were super polite super amicable. They helped me out. They were, uh, they were on my team. And so if you come from a background, usually uh, a marginalized background, where you don't feel like that, well, that's privilege. Now, I won't say that about Mexican cops, because I know you guys don't exactly feel the same way down there, irrelevant <laughs> of, of what class you come into. But I think there's a neat thing to be said in Mexico in that you were always aware that there was somebody that you could call in case you were in a bad situation that involved the cops, no? Like you always well, thought there's you, you could call your dad, an uncle, a friend that that somehow had connections in case of any situation. And I well, think I yeah, is that for sure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's you know that's a big part also of uh, of the privilege that we're born into. If while growing, I'll continue on this Home Depot thing because it was really interesting. It's all over the news right now. And, and it says what privilege looks like. So if you're confident that the police exist to protect you, you have privilege. If while growing up, college was an expectation of you, not a dream, you have a class privilege. Now, in my case, I never had to pay for any schooling ever. Like my parents would pay for the private schools, the CJEPs, the, my books. Um, they, did, they gave every tool that I ever needed so that I could successfully get through uh, college and post-secondary education. And that's something that most of the world does simply does not have. Um, and and I, I think it's important that to, to talk about that as well, because if you have the privilege to know that your education is almost guaranteed, then this st- sets the stage so that down the road, you also have the privilege and the money to get outdoors and do all of these activities. And that's where I'm going with, with this is, that I do and I have lived an extraordinary life. And there's zero doubt in my mind that I was given stairs to help me do that. Of course, my parents have always been the type that say, hey, if you're not working hard, then we're not going to help you. We're not just going to give you money. But if you go to work and we see that you're struggling or you can't pay your books or whatever it may be, or you can't, well, I never had to pay my books, but if you can't, if you need some support to pay the rent when you're in college because you need to study for exams, whatever that may be, then it was always there to, to back me up. Another thing, if uh, if you use public bathrooms, so now they're talking about on this Home Depot paper a bit more about like privilege of, of gender privilege. Uh, if you don't have to worry about going into a store, then 
uh, able-bodied privilege, uh, and uh, and things like that. So I just that I won't go continue on the Home Depot thing, but it, it was basically to emphasize that uh, in society today, and I, particularly in Canada, uh, I really like that we are aware that uh, privilege is something that exists, and and it is our responsibility and our social duty as a country to help um, people reach the level that we or or have a helping hand in the way that we did. And I'm very, very proud uh, of my country because the the social uh, support that, that as a foundation begins with simply the fact that we don't have to worry about paying a doctor um, is enormous. You know, in, in Mexico, you, you have to go to the public hospitals and, uh, and they're definitely understaffed, underprepared, and, uh, and frankly, I wouldn't want to be there. At all, my brother, uh, being a doctor, did a free stage where where he was training and learning and worked in a hospital of these, and he was he was horrified. He was like, "Wow, well, it, it, the, the doctors don't even wash their hands and orderlies and things like that." So, but I dig- I digress. I digress. So, the the most important thing that I really want to to ask you a few questions about is is uh, the type of sports, and we're going to do a bit of math on this one so that we can explain to people. Uh, the cost of getting outdoors, because a lot of people look at the outdoors and they say, you know what, it's super easy for me to grab my hiking bag, uh, grab my hiking shoes and and get outside. To begin with, the first thing that you need in order to go on a hike out of the city is time. And time is a thing that privileged people have that those that don't aren't in the same socioeconomic uh, level don't have because they have to go to work in order to pay the bills, in order to pay the rent, in order to pay the food. And and I think that it's really important to, to emphasize this um, because while anybody can uh, reach to the point where they have privilege, like my father who and my mother who, who worked like crazy to get to the point where their family and their kids would have all of these privileges, um, it's still something that happens less so often to people that come from a lower socioeconomic background than those that come with privilege. So let's begin with how much does a set of kites or a kite cost? I mean, depends on the kite, but it, at least $2,500 two, $2, for the kite. Then you have to pay like 500 for a harness, maybe $1,000 for a board. And in total, it could cost like $4,000 for a brand new equipment. of kiting. A brand new setup. Not yeah. to mention getting to that destination that you can kite at. Which exactly. obviously has. Like our our trip to Tofino, uh, we were five people, including my, my little boy. And it's a $1,600 trip for, for four days uh, just so that we could go surfing for a few days. So it's amazing. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm, But this is what privilege looks like it's not having to be overly concerned about the cost of things and i in all sincerity as an entrepreneur and i think i was mentioning this to you the other day was that whenever i see a situation where hmm, i say to myself you know what i don't know if i'm going to be able to afford that thing whatever it may be i say to myself i'm going to find a way and and that entrepreneurial spirit comes from I can't afford it on a fixed income, but as a businessman, I can figure out a way to get it. And in our life, a big hack of having privilege without having to have an extraordinary income 
is that we became ambassadors for so many different companies. And so we're able to, to, to have all of these, um, the, these uh, equipment required to do that. And my, sure, in my early days, I was a businessman and I supplied Costco and, and did very well. But, but now as a photographer, videographer, I have 10 times the gear than I could ever have imagined uh, having, having before. So, all right, now take me, we did skiing. So $4,000 to be a kite surfer. $2,000 to be a skier, not including having a ski pass. Let's say we get ourselves uh, a mountain bike. Uh, what's a good mountain bike cost in Mexico? A good mountain bike? Uh, I don't know, maybe $4,000. A good yep. one, yeah, yep. at least. Yep, at least. exactly. 4000 to 10000 And take into account that in Mexico, uh, everything is about 20 to 30% more expensive than when you're buying things in Canada and the U.S. because of transport and the companies are based from elsewhere. So so a pretty penny. Then you also have to get to a destination. You need a, maybe a $200 uh, bike rack on the back of your truck, uh, not to mention the vehicle to get to places uh, where where you can bike. Uh, let's talk about Tofino and surfing. Uh, a, a wetsuit. I, my wetsuit's, what, $300, $350. I got Mikio a wetsuit as well, and it cost me 350 bucks plus... Uh, the booty and the gloves. Um, so it came to like 450 or so. And he's five. <laughs> so, so you know, Mikio isn't aware of the privilege that he has and the opportunity that he has uh, to, do, to, to have all of this equipment. Um, but it is something that we bestow, um, which sets the stage for down the road. He will be able to, um, to do all of these sports when, when a kid from a different socioeconomic background might never have had the opportunity to do all of these sports. Um, in Mexico, you see it quite a contrast, no? When you, when you go uh, on a mountain biking trip or, or on any of these activities, you, the people that are doing it tend to be wealthy people, right? There's, you, don't, you don't see um, the maids, for example. In Mexico. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, no, no. The, the kind of people that you found like mountain biking or hiking or whatever these kind of, of, uh, of activities in Mexico, uh, it, I mean, you don't find, uh, I mean, you have like, you find like high, high privileged people for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if Matthew's there in the, with you. I know he's listening, but, and I know he has to get to work, but if he wants to jump on and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what life is like on the Quebec side. Uh, I know that in the Quebec culture, it's when you borrow money from your dad, you pay it back. Uh, when you're 16 years old, you go to work. Some, oftentimes, you leave the house um, when, when you're 16. And that's almost expected uh, in Quebec culture to, to leave and go, go work on your own and go be your own man. Whereas in Mexico... Often you stay living at home until you're getting married. Oh yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, are you expected to move out anytime soon and live abroad? Aside from the trips and travels, your parents aren't telling you like, Jose Pablo, you're 20 years old. It's time to move out and pay your own bills. No, not really. No, thank God, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and these are you know and things to be grateful for, things to be proud of as well. You know, I think a lot of people sometimes feel like, oh, I have to be ashamed that, that I have, that my family has money or no, no, I, I'm, I'm the first to tell you that this is something that you definitely should be proud about because, um, because it, uh, it says that the people in your family were, were hardworking people 
that got to that point. And I'm, you know, everybody know that that I speak to knows that I love to extol and tell people all about the great uh, work that my parents have done over the years uh, to get to the point where I was able to go. So. My my parents, when I was young, could not afford to send me to private school. It wasn't in their budget. It wasn't like something that was like, oh, yeah, let's just do this. And it's only over the years and as I as I grew up that I realized that they focused the majority of their income when I was young, very young, on uh, giving us opportunity and giving us. Matthew, are you out there? I, uh, I hello, see you. Hello. hello, Matthew. How are you today? Pretty good, pretty good. Well, so I know, so you come from my belle province. Yeah, uh, la belle province. La belle province in eastern Canada. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, who you are, um, how you started following uh, the expeditioners, and uh, and where you're at now in life, and then we can jump in about you telling me a little bit about what privilege and or lack of it looks like in Quebec. <clears throat> so, yeah, I grew up in a small town in Quebec, Um was fascinated about um, the night sky and the auroras, which is how I find on internet um, you guys, the expeditioners. And I was like, whoa, they have like these amazing shots and Northwest Territories, Iceland, Northern Quebec. And I'm like, wow, I want to do this too. And I was like 14, 15 at the time. So yeah, it, it hyped me up quite a bit to get myself a professional camera and to put the money aside from putting the garbage out and yep. doing a bunch of chores for my dad and stuff. So, so, so um, let's touch was... base on that on responsibility. In yeah. in in uh, when I lived in Montreal <clears throat> as a kid as well, I was rewarded for doing chores. So go cut the grass and you'll get ten bucks, and go uh, yeah. uh, rake the leaves and things like that. And and uh, so tell me a bit about that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it is quite common in, in Quebec, even more, not Quebec City, but like more regional areas like Saguenay-Lac-Saint-Jean, where I grew up. Um, you're put to work at like 13, 14, you know, you'll you'll help out, um, you know, doing chores like cutting wood, getting wood ready for the winter, stuff like that, um, <laughs> lifting heavy things. So <clears throat> it's uh, it's quite cultural because it's very industrialized, the regions of uh, Quebec. Yeah, whether it's for uh, aluminum, wood, or hydroelectricity, or you know, all these big companies up there and these mines, <clears throat> kids are so put to work. A lot, a lot of trades out there. Exactly. A lot, There's a lot, a lot of, of like yeah. trade work, and and trade work pays very well. Very well. In, yeah, in up Canada. to forty, fifty dollars an hour. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a great uh, type of work. We get they get taxed like crazy as well, yeah. but a lot of trade workers tend to have. Uh, their own business and so they're able to to do something with that so um for you to get outdoors and you became a photographer videographer um how did uh how did you find your route to become uh to get outdoors what what ways did you find to have the money to go camping and hiking um to go on your road trip to alberta to live in tofino for six months etc all right. Well, I'll go like when I was younger to when I was independent. So when yep. I was younger, my grandparents would hunt. So they had a chalet um, 200 kilometers north in really like complete middle of nowhere off the grid. No cell, no nothing. And uh, I, we would go there maybe once every two months. And it was quite the trip. So <clears throat> um, it would take... If we go for a weekend, it almost costs just as much as going to Tofino and gas and extra food. And yep. you know, we have generators, so it's just like double the price of like everything pretty much. Yep. And um, 
obviously I didn't pay $1 of that for so many years. Yep. Actually never did. <laughs> Probably still wouldn't because yep. it's, uh, it's, it's family, you know, but, um, yeah, we went on a lot of uh, snowmobiling trips and stuff like that. And I would learn how to snowmobile and it would just be like, oh, I bought you a snowmobile, my son, but it's, it's actually mine, but you can use it. That was like my dad's thing. Cause right. One of us to go together. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> but, but, but creating the, the value, but he was giving you the value of, uh, you know, I don't want you to feel that stuff just falls from the sky. So it's not. mine and yeah. I'm lending it to you. Even though in reality, really, he got it for yeah. you. And when but, I broke it, it was over. <laughs> there was right. no snowmobiling. <laughs> He's like, that's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not putting any more money in it. No, and, so, and sleds are very expensive. So so it's another yeah, example. Even, even if it's not a brand new one, then it's the repairs and the time and, you know, all that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so you you got through that. You got to the teens. Did you go to any kids camps as a, as a teen? Um, not really, unless it was with school, like there was like, oh, today's a snowboarding day. So all the kids would go out and go snowboard in the local, you know, area. Yep. Um, but other than that, if it wasn't related to school, uh, my parents couldn't afford to send me out unless it was like cadets. I've done cadets for a while too. And I guess also in that area, because Quebec rural areas tend not to have the highest income people. No. So you must know plenty of people that grew up without privilege yeah. of getting um, into the outdoors there's sure there's a bunch of things that i wanted to do that i never could uh, like travel uh, i've never traveled with my family um other than road trips to nova scotia because my mom's from there mm-hmm. but um because it was like well we're gonna go see family you know so but we would like visit the area and stuff but like most of our travels i'm too young i don't remember any of it like prince edward island and stuff like that i just it's like I didn't go. I don't remember. So right. yeah, yeah, because you were so young. But I yeah. did see you in Mexico not long ago, and you yeah. mentioned that that was the first time that you had traveled on a plane alone. Yeah, so that was the first time taking the plane and buying my own ticket and doing all my stuff alone, like a like a grown man. Right, like like <laughs> a grown. <laughs> I guess I'm a grown man. Yeah, well, I don't know. Six foot something, giant uh, golden beard, I'd say 25. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, ins- inside, I find that that uh, the way people see us and how we see ourselves inside is quite different. So I always see myself much younger than, I guess, what I am. Yeah. But um, so, so no kids camps, no travels, um, no. but you looked for a way to emancipate from small town Quebec and see the world because you did go on a big road trip to BC and Alberta, no? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I worked in a cheese factory night shifts, 60 hours a week. So I could accumulate as much money as I can. So they're back to the subject of working hard for your dream. Yeah. Um, I accumulated quite a few thousand dollars and I went off to Tofino and I didn't even know if I wanted to work or not. That's like how much money I made. I was like, let's go. So that's yep. uh, 2018 after going through a lot of more stagnant times. And I was like, all right, let's live our dreams. Let's go. Let's push. Um, so I spent seven months in Tofino. So that's like a record for most people because tell, it tell is people very a little, expensive. Yeah. Tell people a little bit. What is Tofino? I didn't describe it. So Tofino is the end of the highway. So it's the, the, the highway number one that goes across Canada from east to west or west to east, however you want it. Um, it's on Vancouver Island. And everything on Vancouver Island is obviously more expensive because it's an island. And yep. it's very, very close to nature. 
uh, very protected also, um, ex- except for certain parts with uh, some logging. That's another yep. story. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but um, yeah, um, there's not very much space. It's like the tip of, I don't know how to explain it. The geography is very, um, it's, it's, it's like, kind of like if you're in between a bunch of mountains, you can't, you can only build so much. You can only expand a town so much. So um, space is very, very um rare actually so they have a lot of housing problems so there's too many people for the amount of places where you can stay so and with tourism uh booming the price of living in these towns kind of like whistler is uh is a big deal but you know even in in places like whistler i've noticed that you do have six kids living in a studio and i say kids because you know they're around your age (laughs) 20 to 20 to 25 and uh and they're, they're living in a studio and sometimes you think, oh, well, these kids must come from difficult backgrounds. But the reality or dif- not as privileged backgrounds, but the reality yeah. is that the majority of kids or people, at young, young, young adults that come to destinations like Tofino and Whistler came yeah. from backgrounds where there was privilege. Because even if they're living six in a studio, they learned to ski before they came, which means their parents ha- could afford to put them into those programs. Yep. They knew about uh, going to these destinations. Many of them come from New Zealand, Australia, and all over the world, which alone, the plane ticket costs you a, a few thousand dollars. So so there is privilege. Like, it, it's not just the very wealthy that have privilege, but the middle class, particularly of countries like Canada and the US, that... Uh, that were very privileged as well. Um, so what would be, I think, um, one of the uh, biggest obstacles that you have found in living the life of your dreams or an extraordinary life? Well, financial. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah um, I'm super good at adapting. Uh, you all sleep on this couch, uh, sleep in the car, I live in the car for two months. I've done that. And it yep. didn't feel like, oh, I'm broke. I'm on the streets. I was like, oh, this is cool. We're living in the car. Yeah, <laughs> so, been there, done that. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm stoked about it. I'm happy about it. And uh, I'd do it again. Um, yep. But like, yeah, one of my dreams is to have a van too. That also has a cost. So Absolutely. Um, well, when you were when you were driving across to to join uh, me to be my assistant here yep. here in, in Whistler, you, you texted me uh, saying, oh, I'm sleeping in minus 27 Celsius tonight yep. in the car. <laughs> With a sleeping bag that's not rated for that, and and uh, and my reaction internally, to be honest, was like, good. <laughs> I was like, because because uh, in in order to understand what you're getting to do, even I did the I live in a van down by the river, the lake, yeah. the blah blah blah, and I didn't actually live in a van. I lived in a Pathfinder that was fully loaded with my stuff, so I would pitch a tent. By the side and yes it's difficult it's cold it's it's icy it's you don't know where your next sleeping spot is but it's exciting and it's adventure and i think that it's and my parents even as uh when, when i set you know through the bow lines and set sail to be like i'm going across canada and i don't know if we're coming back and uh and a lot of on these trips they didn't give me any economic support because they're like well this is your decision and and go ahead and they also wanted me to experience that when you really want something it's not just going to fall from the sky it takes effort um and again but that being said 
I knew that if ever I was in a very difficult position, if ever the credit card was bouncing, uh, whatever it may be, that I could always call home. And I think that's another big thing to identify as privilege yeah. um, because that most of the world, if we look at simple numbers, just don't have that mm-hmm. uh, ability to, to, to do that. Um, so, so I think privilege is definitely uh, something that, that we're in many cases born with, in some cases that we can acquire, and in, and in mo- many cases where we get to that point, it's simply working your ass off to get to yep. the point where you are a person of privilege. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, <clears throat> I left home at 17 and I, it's not like I left home at 17 with a thousand dollars in my pocket. I left with a hundred. So right. I went to study photography in trade school and I figured it out and I was working in bike shops. I was being a bike mechanic because <clears throat> it's the only thing I really know how to do because I would do it for myself. So it was easy for me to get those jobs and then make it a little bit easier for me to get the, the money. So if so, you were, if you were to, t- sorry to jump in here, but if you were yeah. to tell a 16-year-old uh, Matthew that uh, that's following your adventures, and he says, "You know what? I come from a lower-income family. Um, how how do you start with leaving the house with a hundred bucks in your pocket to follow your dreams? So, how did you do it?" That's a that's a good question. Um, I'm how do I say it? Like I'm, I don't have, I have the word in French tattoo. Like I'm hard headed. Like when yep. I'm like, I want this, I'm going to go get it. Like, I remember I would take out the trash and every time I take out the trash and I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to get that pellet rifle. I'm going to get it. And right. it's a $400 pellet rifle. It's a competition pellet rifle. Cause I was doing that in the cadets. So I wanted that. Right. And that's like the first memory I have of being fully committed to like, the reason I exist and the reason why I'm taking this garbage out is for this pellet rifle. So like until you get to that goal, like everything you do is for that goal, you know, like, so that's, that's the mindset that I've had for quite a long time. So hard headed determination. Yeah. And you put everything out of the way. Like people are wanting you to come out and let's go to the bar or whatever. And just like, nah, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to do my things, you know, and just put everything else aside. You bit of sacrifice, you know, know? and that's, I think the sacrifice thing is a great point because it's very easy to say, you know what, I'm going to go out and party and I'm going to spend X and Y and Z. And even in my case, uh, sure, I could go out whining and dining in Whistler, but I barely ever go to restaurants in Whistler unless some friends are visiting because right now that money for me goes to, oh, well, I'd like to buy this timeshare or I'd like to buy certain equipment, but, but there has to come some sacrifice with it. And I think that's really important to to emphasize because you do have a very nice camera, which is like five <laughs> or six thousand dollars. Yeah. Right? And it didn't fall from the sky and bonk you on the head. No, it did not. No. And I had so, to break a camera so that I could buy a better camera. Yeah. So <laughs> so so privilege isn't something that just can is given, but it's something that can be acquired because with the first asset, in your case the camera, um became more opportunity to shoot, to do photography, to show your skills, and then for the expeditioners to say, hey, why don't you come on over? So so I think it's really important to understand that even though you come from uh, a, so- a lower socioeconomic background uh, in the world, wherever this may find you, you can work your ass off, make sacrifices, and get to your goals. 
and yeah. it isn't easy. You will have to sleep in a car at minus 27. You will have to <laughs> often break away with, with uh, parental values. You know, a lot of parents would tell their kids, what, you're studying photography? How the hell are you ever going to make a living at that? And even I had <laughs> my parents. Yeah, well, even I had yeah. my parents being like, well, I was a businessman before. And they're like, what, you're going to go travel the world and, and get paid for it? Like, they just didn't understand the concept. And of course, parents worry about how the hell their kids are going to make a living. So so I think it's just really important to emphasize that that you can do it. And that while privilege is something that many people are born with, that you mm-hmm. can acquire it. And my dad is a case in point, And many other people in the world are case in points as well. So... Give me a little bit. Uh, I know you got to get off. I, I think you got some work uh, t- I work today. At 2:30. I work at 2:30. Oh, 2:30. Okay, I thought it yeah. was one. Great. All right, so we're all good. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but if you had uh, to say in a very succinct way what your aspirations are uh, when it comes to uh, your next step into acquiring something for the outdoors, what would it be? I have a feeling it's like fan related. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for sure. My next big project, big goal that I want for me, for my lifestyle and my dreams of having an overlander rig so that I can go wherever I want, whenever I want and be able to, to enjoy nature even more and be somewhat comfortable. Describe to me your current overlander rig. It's a Toyota matrix. Um, Yeah. This is this is much, very much a privilege. Uh, even when people have, you know, uh, the basic privilege of growing up in Canada, not everybody gets a car given to them uh, when they, the parent decides, oh, well, I haven't been using it lately. Do you want it? And I'm just like, yeah. what? Do I want it? <laughs> so yes. I was just, from there on, I was like, oh, this is like the big step to all my dreams of being free and traveling and going wherever I want. So... This is the car that we always had. We had it brand new. And this car was gifted for my great-grandmother before she passed. Great-grandmother. What year is it? (laughs) She was 90 at the time. Okay, but what year is the car? 102. Wowzers. Yeah, Yeah, this was three years ago when she passed. Uh, Wow. The car was gifted uh, in 2007. But what year is the car? It's a 2007? Yeah, exactly. Hey, there you go. It's almost the same year as my Tureg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I've I've put, I think it was given to me. It had a hundred and twenty five kilo, like thousand kilometers on it, and yep. now we're like four fifty. So <laughs> four hundred and fifty thousand kilometers on it. So I, as you can tell, just by those numbers, I'm very grateful for that gift, for that privilege, and I used it completely, and I the amount of times that I lifted people because I was like, oh, I have a car and they don't. I'm going to, you know, help them out because I have this. It's because it's easy for me. So um, it's always been in my nature to help out too and to share. So, Uh, Well, a set of wheels is uh, is definitely a big privilege and particularly when it comes into getting into the outdoors because if you can't get there, how are you going to enjoy nature? And since I was 17, I had access to my parents' cars and with limits, and then it became, oh, now I was servicing Home Depot stores as one of my jobs, and, and so needed a vehicle. But but a vehicle is a privilege that, that few people, when you look at the scale of the world and people around the world, have. And it gives you the opportunity to take whatever um, job or ambition you have to the next level, because to get to work, you might need a car. To get, uh, to, even for my case, I was like, oh, Matthew, do you have a car? Because it 
it's you're more valuable to me with a car than someone that doesn't have a car because mm-hmm. you can do more. So uh, so that's why I'm, I've decided I'm leaving for the next six months and I'm leaving you in charge of everything. Thank you very much. No, <laughs> but but uh, but again, all of these things definitely great examples. Matthew, I really appreciate your you're taking the time to to jump on. Jose Pablo also appreciate the time uh, to jump on. I think it's important to to show people uh, the different ways in which we're all privileged to have gotten into the outdoors. And perhaps on a on a next conversation, we'll chat about the things that we can do so that other people that don't come from the same socioeconomic backgrounds can find a way to get their sel- themselves outdoors. Because a lot of programs for intercity kids uh, work to get kids outdoors because it helps them in so many different ways, um, mentally, physically, um, and and just to have mental health. Um, so again, I, I hope that more people in the world can have access to those that have privilege. And for those that don't, I give you this one message that you can still do it as well. So there we go. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Jose Pablo. Thank you. Um, we'll, uh, we'll jump on uh, another podcast for sure uh, this weekend. Thanks to everybody for listening in. And, uh, and if you got to live in a van down by the river, the lake, the pond, the snow, whatever it may be, and it's hard and it's minus 27, all I've got to tell you is it's worth it. See you next time. Ciao for now.